yeah, obviously we're quite good at football as well. Hello and welcome to episode two of Fogging Great. I am Jack Wood alongside Tom Clark. Afternoon, Jack. Good afternoon. And we are talking off the back of Arsenal's steady yet uncomfortable 2-1 win at home to Wolves. Obviously, this is a weekly podcast, so we will also talk about the 6-0 victory over Lens. But Tom, what a what a weird afternoon because we were imperious for 95% of that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit, um, it's a bit weird, really, because uh, I think last last week we, we were coming into it and saying, you know, it was a bit of a nervy win over Brentford and well, there's a few things that we're not that best pleased about and all oh, this con- this desire for control is leaving us looking a little bit light up top and, oh, well, we're top of the league. And now we're coming in this podcast and going, well, that was a little bit disappointing, wasn't it? But hey, we're four points clear. And it's, it's, it is a bit <laughs> weird that we, we, keep, we seem to keep doing this, but um, it should have been so easy. It, it, it should have been so simple. And I'm not saying that Wolves are an easy team to beat because they're not. And I, I really genuinely wasn't coming into today's game thinking we were going to we were gonna batter them in the way that we did with Lons on Wednesday. Um, but when we go 2-0 up after 13 minutes against the Wolves team who are low on confidence, low on players because half the side's injured and their keeper's got to go off injured in that moment as well, you're really looking at that and going, that should be, that should be just so simple from then on in. And it just wasn't. And, yeah. and that's that's a concern, I think, isn't it? Yes, we'll go into the specifics of the game throughout this podcast, so stay tuned for that. But it just, we, we did the hard work today. Like, we we absolutely set our shop out in the first half. We were incredible. That is, that's one of the best half performances I've seen from us all season. Mm. And yeah, then then we rode, we rode it, like, Wolves were always going to have moments. Like, in a Premier League match, you're never going to be dominant for 90 minutes. So Wolves are always going to have their moments and they kind of came out in the second half and they looked a little bit more pronounced on the ball. Um, I think Arteta may have said at halftime, you know what, boys, let's let's just take it easy. Not take it easy. Let's let's see how we go for 10 minutes. They're going to be yeah. they're going to be fiery off the back of a halftime team talk with Gary O'Neill. So let's just keep my arm's length for 10, 15 minutes and then go from there. And we did that. We we were really good mm. for 10, 15 minutes. They didn't really have a sniff, but they just had more of the ball in our half, I thought. And then we really, we, like the, the crowd may as well have been olaying for the next 20 minutes. And then yeah. Zinchenko gives the ball away and all of a sudden we're in for a, a nervy last five, five minutes plus injury time. Mm-hmm. And we go from looking like serious title contenders to anything but in that last five minutes. You have to look at the game as a whole and, and not just... In, and it is hard because we are recording this quite literally less than an hour after the final whistle went. Um, but you have to look at the game as a whole. And I think it's quite difficult to look at it as a whole considering that last 20 minutes. Um, and 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 it's understandable that, you know, we would 2-0 up um, uh, very, very quickly in the game. Uh, uh, 13 minutes it took us to go 2-0 up. And it's completely understandable the intensity is not going to be the same the whole way through because no team can play at that intensity for 90 minutes. I think what's a little bit concerning is how how much the intensity dropped. Um, even in the first half, really, they they started to come back into it uh, after sort of 20, 25 minutes. Um, and they did all right in the first half. You know, it, we, we didn't really look like we should be we should be that much further ahead at halftime. We could have we could have snuck another goal in, but you know they had their time on the ball as well. I just wonder what what the what the thought process is in the second half, because you know I, I get I get the desire to conserve energy. We've got a lot of games coming up. We're, we're playing Luton in three days' time, and then you know we're away at Villa next weekend, and that's a very tough game. Um, 
the fixtures over the next month, they're going to c- come thick and fast. I understand the desire to conserve energy. What concerns me is I think the priorities there, um, it, it, conserving energy should come at the end of the game, not t- 30 minutes into it. You know, okay, we're 2-0 up. We can conserve energy for the rest of it. Well, no, because we didn't end up doing that. We didn't end up doing the conserving energy for the rest of the game because we put ourselves in a position where for the last 10 minutes, we were right on the edge. The only thing that seemed to be going wrong was Zinchenko's individual errors, which really is the only blot I can put on that game today because that performance was so good for so long. And then I think it was the fourth time in the match where Zinchenko just gets caught in the ball. I, I don't know what he's doing, but whether he thinks he just needs a second more to make a decision. But in the first mm. half, a lack of communication between him and Saliba. They tackled each other and Huang mm. should have scored. Um, yeah. There was another moment in the first half, at least one other moment. And then in the second half, it, again, like I was just saying, he just needs more. He just wants more time on the ball. And I just it's don't weird, understand though, it? it because he's such a, he's such a La Porza player. Yes. And that, but that's what's so, and also what's so bizarre about it as well is this is one of the, the guys on the, on the team and in the club who you would think actually in those moments would be able to go, would be one of the karma heads, one of the more experienced heads. This is a guy that's won the Premier League, you know, multiple times, um, uh, you know, more so than any of our other players other than Gabby Jesus, you know, he, he's, he's a player who's, 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 who's got more experience than most of our players too. You'd think he'd be the one in those situations to be the, the calm head, not the one who was kind of asleep. Um, there was there were a few moments towards uh, the end of last season and when, when things started to fall apart with us a little bit and um, where I thought complacency snuck in. Um, and, and it wasn't so much a, a, a lack of us being good enough to win games. It was, a, I mean, the Liverpool game at Anfield, we were 2 0 up and we should really have won that. And complacency played a part in that. And West Ham the week after, complacency played a massive part in that. Southampton, a few days later at home, we were 2 0 down, you know, in the first half, complacency again. And I, I worry, I worried about that. In, 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 in games last season and I'm worrying about it now but I'm worrying about it with players I didn't have I didn't think I'd have to worry about it with I didn't think Zinchenko would be a worry when it comes to that um, it, it is it is a weird paradox because he is like not only technical ability his mentality he is such a leader he doesn't seem to have that kind of um, that kind of mentality where the going gets tough he's rolls over and shows you his belly no, like he's definitely he's, he's the complete opposite of that a point that you made earlier is we've got to remember not to we've got to judge the game as a whole and not just on that last 10 minutes which is completely right but it, it just should have been so easy the headline really the should, headlines yeah. were writing themselves the, mm-hmm. the the bullet points for this podcast were writing themselves yeah when we absolutely. were watching that game and just just that the one the one thing i will say on it looking bigger picture is uh, an individual error like that, I don't, n- not just with Zinchenko, with the whole squad, I don't think is happening as often this season. No, and I, I agree. Th- and I think that's why we've been so defensively solid is we've just completely cut out those individual errors. Like obviously yeah. on the last pod- podcast, we talked about Raya and the goal against Chelsea. That's the obviously one that's popping into my mind right now, but I can't think of an obvious individual error like the Zinchenko one today that no, has, caused, no- has cost us. There were a few last year. You're right. Um, even in even in the first half of the season, where we were f- essentially flawless, you know, there were there were individual errors in those games. You know, I, I think back straight off the top of my head, Gabriel at home to Fulham. You're right. The, the errors didn't that they aren't happening as much this season. Um, 
But it's just it was it was it was such an unnecessary error from a player that you wouldn't expect it to come from, and I think that's what's frustrating is that you know that you're right. The narrative has completely shifted now, and the narrative isn't important. No one cares what the no one cares what the media say about it. I don't really particularly care what the pundits say about it. As soon as the final whistle went, I I switched it off and came up here upstairs to record the podcast. So I'm not particularly interested in what everybody else thinks about it. But from a personal perspective, yeah, those are the games you have to be putting it away. And 2-0 might feel like you've put the game to bed, but you haven't, not in the Premier League. And I know it's a cliche, but in the Premier League, 2-0 isn't enough to say that's the end of the game. We've seen it plenty of times in the past, both for us and against us, where 2-0 leads haven't been enough. Um, and 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 I think I think we played in such a way after the second goal where we thought the job was done. And it's absolutely inevitable at that stage that the mistakes are going to creep in because that's just human nature. When you think the job is done, human nature tells you to take your foot off the pedal and relax a little bit. Um, and, and some that, would and say that-, that, that... That's just good. That goes exactly back to the point I was just making. It's just like, we did the hard bit. We did yes. the hard bit. We, we rode the the kind of, the, the re-energised walls off the back of half time. Mm-hmm. And we managed that so well. Yeah. That, I, th- I think that's the thing. Like, I'm not, I'm not pissed off. It's just frustrating. Because we, yeah. we we walk off that pitch winning two nil with however much much possession we had twenty odd shots we had nineteen shots wolves had six and mm-hmm. it's like two nil that was just such such a dominant two nil performance yeah you know well, I mean I mean I mean the, 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 you know obviously we we do talk about the defensive error that caused us to have a bit of a nervy last ten minutes and it's right that we do that because at the end of the day that was the main reason that we had a defense that, that we had that was the main reason that we had the last few minutes be quite so nervy. Um, however, you, the point you, the, what you just said there is that we had 19 shots um, and we had plenty of opportunities in and around the area and we're not ruthless enough when, which seems weird coming off the back of lawns where we were massively ruthless and we sniffed even the tiniest drop of blood and we were absolutely on it. Um, but, uh, today we weren't ruthless enough at all and really should have been out of sight. In the instant where their keeper got injured and Shrossard went through and it could have been 3-0 after like 16 minutes, that probably changes it. If that does go in the back of the net, who knows, we might have gone on to win 4-5-6-0. I don't know and we will never know. Um, but at that point, you know, you really are expecting us to go on and be completely dominant and completely ruthless. That being said, I don't need us to win 4-5-6-0. 2-0, win that today coast through the rest of the game, rest some players ready for Luton on Tuesday. I'm a happy man. The problem is going the complete opposite way and leaving ourselves with a really worrying last 10 minutes. And and it's the second, and it's not the first time this season, as I said, and it was almost a carbon copy of the, of the Forest game, which was our first home game of the season. Uh, for, but maybe first game of the season, I can't actually remember. Um, and we went 2-0 up in the first half and then for some reason decided to take our foot off the pedal. Uh, our knee scored with sort of 10 minutes to go and we were then under the cosh. And yeah, all right, it doesn't matter. We, we we battered them. We were the better side. We had far more shots, far more possession. Uh, field tilt was massively in our favour. We played around them for most of the game. However, there are games that are going to happen in the future where we are playing that well and we are far better than the other team. But letting them back into it is going to bite us in the butt at some point. And it, it, it will be sooner rather than later. And these are games that we can't afford to drop points in. And um you know, if we if we had somehow managed to drop any points today, it would have been a really, really, really huge disaster from the position we were in. 
Luckily, we didn't. Happily, we didn't. I'm really pleased we didn't. But at some point, it's going to happen if we keep if we keep playing that way once we're in control of the game. Like you were just saying, it is really important to remember that there was 85 minutes of really good football there. Um, so we've got to talk about that. I think Tomiyasu was outstanding again today. His role yeah. in the first goal, his... Um, I mentioned it in the last podcast, just how good he is, how good, how much better he's got in the final third. Because I think mm. he's always been a really, really solid defender, but maybe mm. his decision-making in the final third hasn't been great. This mm. season in this run of games um, that he's been in since he's coming for Ben White, he really has made a noticeable difference in his game, like the assist for Saka. And at one point mm. in the first half when, um, when Martinelli was running through and he hit the post... Tommy Asu was running into the box like a striker. He was by the penalty spot. Yeah. There, there was nobody closer to the goal than Tommy Asu, and I was like, "What the hell's yeah. going on here?" But well, um, I think I think he's he's really evolved as a player because I think when he first came in, obviously he wasn't massively well known in in, in English football. He came in and looked really really solid. Really, and actually in his first season, he was one of our better players. Had a bit of an injury and then struggled to find that form again. I actually um, I went to the Community Shield at the start of the season, which obviously we won. And we won on penalties, big celebrations, go up and collect the medals and the trophy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And after the game, while everyone, all the other players were on the pitch, you know, um, with the big, what do they, what, are the, what would you call it? You know, the, the where they have the, the photos taken by the press and they've got the big FA Community a, Shield. A banner? Like, a placard? Banner kind of thing. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> they were all kind of going crazy there and really happy they won the game and stuff. And he was kind of off to the side, not really engaging in it. Because he'd kind of fallen out of the team and, and Ben White had such a good season last year that it was really difficult to see him being displaced in the side. And we just brought in Yuri N. Timber, who looked like he was going to be our inverted left back. And then even if he wasn't, then Zinchenko was probably going to play that role. And and Tommy Yasu had the look of a man who maybe thought this... I, 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 I was going far too far to say he was thinking of leaving the club because I, I I have no idea. He may have been. He probably wasn't. There was links back but, to Syria in the in the press, like whether there's any yeah, truth to that. Yeah, but, exactly. But like there was there was there was the odd story about him maybe moving back. And he, you're right, he was on the edge of the squad. He was on the edge of the squad, and he just looked a little bit. And even afterwards, and everyone was going round, and Rice was getting the applaudits as his first game as an Arsenal player, and everything was great. And and Tommy Asu kind of wandered about on his own and ended up walking back into the. The, the the changing rooms by himself, look of a man who who didn't think he contributed, therefore didn't want to celebrate. And I worried at that point because I love him, I, I love him as a player, and I think he's a really useful player. When you're as good as he is, it's really difficult to see yourself not be the number one choice. I'm sure um, we had the similar chat with Ramsdale last week in in terms of the goalkeeper slot. So for a player like Tommy Asu to not be in the first team squad is probably quite difficult for him. However, he's shown this year that he can perform that right back role brilliantly because he does get up and he does act as a, as a second attacker more often than not he's making those runs that overlap just like Ben White was last season and I dare say he's doing it in a different way than Ben White and he's actually more of a physical presence than Ben White as well I think in those areas but also when he's been asked to play at left back he's actually played that inverted role really well too and he seems really comfortable now kind of drifting in and playing that midfield role that Zinchenko does an example of that going back to last season when uh, he did a job on Mo Salah when Alter, he hadn't mm. been in a, he hadn't been in the squad for a few games. He hadn't been starting for a few games, I think. And out of no, I think it was possibly the first time that Arteta started him at left back to yes. deal with Salah, and he had a really really good game. Everybody, yeah. it really really worked. You know, he's very, he very much, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. And and I think he's one of the most dependable members of the squad. You know, I I have no concerns when I see his name 
in the starting eleven, playing left back, right back, probably even centre back. To be honest, I would have no worries about seeing him there. And I'm, I'm really, really pleased for him. And he was excellent against Lons as well in in midweek. And you know, one of the standout players, I thought. So I know he came off at half time, but I think he, I still think he was a standout player. Um, so I'm I'm really, really pleased for him. And it's great that we have that kind of level of cover in those areas and in those wide defensive areas. Because, you know, if you just think if, if Timber was fit, we'd have two really solid, very good options, both at right back and left back now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good thing to see him be uh, the best version of himself in this squad. So I'm, I'm really pleased about that. And it, it, you're right. I mean, yeah, we have to talk about the positives and that is one of the bigger ones, I think, from today's game. Moving into the the centre of defence, Saliba and Gabriel looking as unbeatable as ever today. Um, mm-hmm. It was quite interesting today to see. It, it, it felt like we were letting Wolves play the long ball. We were pressing them high and letting them play the long ball up to up to Huang, up to Cunha. Um, and it was Saliba that was pressing high and it was Gabriel that was dropping off and sweeping. Yeah. Um, which I thought was quite interesting because typically Saliba is, is the faster player, so you want him on the cover. But that worked really well, and Gabriel was incredible today. They, the uh, the tackle in the first half on, I can't remember if it was uh, Huang or Cunha, when they were running through in the first mm. half down that um, down that left channel, and he put a big cha- challenge in. It was just, I've never felt defense <laughs> off the back of the whole podcast we've just talked about so far. I've never felt more defensively confident. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think I, mean, I, th- I think it's really the one the one thought I had about Saliba today was he doesn't really strike me as a really vocal character in this mm-hmm. Arsenal team yet. I think he could mm-hmm. get there, but he is his sheer confidence is his leadership skill. Yeah, I think like when he, when he gets the ball, when he's tracking back, when he's tackling a player, everybody everyone thinks, oh, it's okay, Saliba's on him. Yes, I mean there are there are players who are who are natural leaders in a personality type, and there are players who are naturally so bloody good at football that you can't help but see them as a leader. And I think he falls into that second type really. That if you're a, if you're a midfielder and you see the ball sail over your head and you know they've got a, a quick striker, then you're probably in the back of your mind thinking, "Well, it's all right. Willie's back there. It'll be all right. You know, we can cope with that." He's that good. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's been a very very long time. You know, I'm I'm talking. You know, there was a there was a little period of time, sort of mid two thousands, or no, late two thousands, I suppose it would have been, where we had Toure and Galas, and I know Galas was a bit of a joker for us at the end, but he, his first season or two were actually pretty solid for Arsenal, um, and he was we looked really solid there, and I think it's probably been that long since we've really had a, a, a defensive partnership this stable, because you know, take away the Zinchenko error, the error that led to the goal. It's another clean sheet, you know. It is, and it, you know, and, and and we're sitting on. Is it after fourteen games we've conceded eleven? Really, it should have been ten if Sinchenko hadn't shat the bed. So uh, I think I think we are forgetting that. It's disappointing that it's not a clean sheet. It's disappointing that we didn't win two 0 in the end. But my God, you know, take away that that moment of that lapse of concentration, and it's another clean sheet for two central defenders who are just at the top of their game. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration from Arsenal fans will come from, from this game. I think the, the goalposts have shifted this season. We've been that good defensively. That, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's, that's our 11th goal conceded in 14 games, which is pretty unheard of. Go back five, maybe 10 years yeah. for Arsenal. You know, so... It is, yeah. I, mean, I, I think it's just like a, 
the sta- the standards are changing now. We're so we're, at the start of the season. We're used to being so defensively solid, and to see a game where we have had an individual, uh, where we have had an individual error, which has led to a goal and put us under the cost the last five ten minutes. It's it, it's like it's like we're getting Vietnam War uh, memory <laughs> memes, like going back. But that's what it is, and I think actually, if you think about it, even last season, not so much because we were right up there last season. There were a few times this happened last year, but two seasons ago when we were fighting for fourth, game like today, where we went two 0 up in thirteen minutes, and then right at the end dropped off and conceded a goal. We'd have got to ninety five minutes when the whistle blew, and we'd have gone. Or actually, as it ended up being about ninety nine for some reason, I don't really know why, but it was. We'd have got to ninety nine minutes, and the whistle had blown, and we'd have gone fantastic, excellent, great, held on, great win brilliant now it's like ah it's annoying that's annoying that that wasn't easy and and so you're right the standards have changed hugely 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 changed and actually the more i sit here and the more that time passes after the final whistle the more i'm softening up to the result and thinking actually you know what okay we conceded a goal from an individual error but individual errors are easy to cut out you know it it really hopefully now in the future that zinchenko will go okay i'm not going to muck about with it in these areas even if we are completely cruising in the game so, yeah, um, yeah. I, th- uh, I, I, I think I, def- d- defensively, standards are way higher than they've been in a very, very long time. That's why it hurts that we don't get these clean sheets. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. That's the thing. I think it is it is difficult to look past the last five ten minutes of that game when we're recording this only an hour after, which is, yeah. which which <laughs> which I do which doesn't completely uh, doesn't completely ruin the podcast. So keep listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll probably listen back to this in a couple of days and go, "Oh man, I was so angry. We should be yeah, happy we, with that result." Fuck it, but it's yeah. you know, but it, I think it, I think it's understandable though because we, we it, okay, yeah, three points is still three points. However, it still should have been three four nil rather than two one, and we should not have been on the edge of our seat for the last five minutes of the game. I think all of those things can be true at the same time; they're not mutually exclusive. So that's the defensive end of the team. Let's look forward. Uh, starting in midfield, Erdegaard had a good game against Lens. Uh, looked a lot more like himself today. He was on the ball a lot more and dictating play a lot more. Um, and I think we're starting to settle on this new this new kind of setup we've got with that midfield three with Rice sitting. And I think Erdegaard's playing a little bit more like an eight this season because obviously that left eight we've had Havertz play there, we've had Vieira play there, we had Trossard play there today. Typically a lot more attacking players. So I think mm. he's had to adjust to a new dynamic in that midfield three. Um, and today it really seemed like it clicked, like he was really finding the pockets that he was finding last season, despite, mm. I guess, having to technically sit just a, maybe five yards deeper because of whoever's playing in that left eight slot being a lot more attacking than he is. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think he he had a he's had an interesting first couple of months of the season. I think... Victim of his own success in a way, um, in the same way that a lot of our own, a, a, a lot of the other players are as well. Ben White probably being one of them, whereby they were so good last year that even a slight drop off, you see as them playing a lot lot worse than they actually are. <clears throat> I think he's judged to a really high standard now, Odegaard, um, and you know I think he's performed fine. I think by design the role that he was playing last year is one where he finds those spaces in between the lines and he finds those 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 pockets of, of, of space to drop into and, and act as the link-up player between the sort of midfield line and the attacking line. And just 
naturally because of the way that teams are playing against us. It's very difficult to find a gap in between a midfield line and a defensive line that are essentially three feet away from each other at all times, which in most of our games this season they have been. It's really hard to find a space against teams who play that very, very low block sort of way. Wolves, for whatever reason today, decided in the first 20 minutes they weren't going to do that. Um, fair play. I'd love all clubs, anyone, any club that wants to come to the Emirates and not play a low block, I would love that. Do it every week. I'm mm-hmm. fine with it because Lons didn't and, and they paid the price as well. So he found those spaces um, and and he, yeah, he was he was much, much better today. And you're right. It's an, it is a new role. And, and, and I, I mean, at one point, I don't know if you were thinking this, at one point I was almost thinking he should move into that left-hand midfield position anyway as more of a, like, the I'm still referring to it as the Shaka role, as more of a dictator of the pace of our game. Um, Thing is, that, that, that that's a very interesting point um, because I can see a lot of pros to it, um, but then the cons are, we spent 35 million on Fabio Vieira a couple of years ago, who we thought was going to take on that role. I'm, I think either that or as cover out wide as well. We spent 65 million on Kai Havertz, which almost puts him permanently on the bench because Odegaard's our captain. Odegaard's one of our best players. He's going to start there. And I wouldn't trust Havertz to play as the, as the, as the, the right hand eight. Hmm. But I I do completely get what you're saying. If we if we have Erdegaard, maybe when Thomas Partey comes back from injury, maybe Partey plays as the sitting six. Rice goes to that one of the eight slots, and Erdegaard goes to the other, and then that gives Erdegaard the license he had last season, if you will, to do that. Yeah, again. I have a feeling that was probably the original plan. I do because I think Rice has got the ability to play that role. I mean, we spoke about Rice last week and. I want to point out again, one of the only players in the second half who out who was out there looking like he still wanted to actually go on and win the game, by the way, and didn't just take his foot off the gas completely. Brilliant footballer. Um, and he is doing such a great job in that six. But I genuinely think that, you know, if Party was still fit, he would probably be playing in that role. And Rice would probably be more of an advanced player, maybe playing the Shaka role. Um, I think it's. I think it's very. Things easy. might look completely different, but I don't. I don't. It's hard to say, isn't it? Because parties never fit. Mm. So what's the what's the point in worrying that, about? That's it? it. I think it's very easy to forget how good a player party is. Um, because we've been playing so well this season, and he, I feel like he must have started what maybe three times in the league this season, think, three or four yeah. times maybe. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm, and, we, I think and at we've, least, we've at been least... that good. We've forgotten how good he is on the ball. Yeah. As well yeah. as being that midfield destroyer and just soaking up any kind of pressure and sorting out an issue before it becomes an issue. Yeah, and at least two of the games he started, were he, he started in the kind of a right-back role as well at the start of the season, which was a weird experiment that I think we'd almost completely forgotten existed yeah. for a little while. That him playing at right-back and Gabriel out of the team. Do you remember that? I mean, that was a weird moment. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think uh, we forget how... We, he, it's easy to forget how good he is because he's another player who actually does a lot of his work completely unnoticed. You know, he's he's such a brilliant player. And at times last season, it was like having two players in that position. He's that good at it. Um, but I think the reality is he's probably never going to be a regular starter again. And and I think planning for life without him is the next is the next point and 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 then the decision goes from you know who do we want to bring in as his replacement to do we actually want rice to be that replacement 
and look for players elsewhere. And that's position personally. That's where I I position myself. I would say that I'm in that I'm in favour of that because I think Rice can influence the game in a lot of ways while still playing in that position. I don't think we lose anything from putting him there. Um, but, but yeah, uh, back to the original point, Odegaard. Uh, he he yeah he he has the ability to unlock any team that we come up against, even when the space isn't there. He's the bloke that you look to and you go. If we're going to get anything out of this game, it's probably going to come from him. Um, and I, I I just I hope he's able to recapture the form of last season. If even if it comes in a different form in a different way, even if he's not going to be finding that space every single game like he was last year, because I think it's a, we're just we're not going to be able to find the space in the same way that we did when people didn't realise that we were this good. Um, but yeah, I mean, really good to see him back. Um, I, re- I, I I should have brought the programme up that I got from the Lance game because his, his notes were quite interesting and it seemed like he'd had, you know, he'd been a little bit, he'd been quite disappointed with the way things had been going. Then he had, you know, a bit of an injury. Then he got this concussion, this mystery concussion that no one knew about other than him and Arteta. And then he had a bit of an illness and stuff, missed the international games, missed a few games for us. I got the sense that actually he probably hadn't been 100% fit for a few weeks, if not a couple of months. And maybe we're now seeing him back to 100% fitness. And this is a real Odegaard. Um, I hope so. So hopefully that continues. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting discussion that dynamic in the midfield, and we we did talk about it on the last the last podcast. But I think today it kind of it does kind of show the different ways, and what we've just been talking about. It does show the different ways that we can set up and the flexibility we do have there. Erdogan can play as the more advanced of those three, mm. but I think it's starting to show that he's he's adjusting and he's he's in with this kind of boxed more box to box kind of mentality of it because you know we we do have two eights and a six. But one yeah. of those eights is always going to be a little bit more like you go back to last season, Granite Xhaka. He, he was making those darting runs into the box, but that mm. was catching so many people by surprise because a lot of the time he was hanging back and it was mm. Odegaard on the edge of the box in that in that channel in there where he was dictating the play. So yeah. it's it's interesting because like like you said, it, preparing for life without Thomas Partey, these are decisions that Arteta's going to have to really think about. Do, I think we, the versus- do we do we sign a number six or do we sign a box to box eight? Because well, that- and I think that depends on on the market availability as well. Because you know you go back to last January, we were really yeah. going in for Caicedo, and yeah. all the Ornstein, everyone were going on about how that wouldn't have mattered come the summer if we were trying to get Rice. So it would have been very very interesting to see had we got Caicedo and Rice during the time where when it was mooted that party might be leaving in the summer yeah. how that would have shown itself come a come a starting 11 well i so, think that's actually really that's really an interesting point is because i think i'd almost forgotten the fact that we were definitely we were definitely in a position where we were hoping to have both of those players so it probably does tell you a lot about actually where we see rice's eventual position being and i don't think it probably will be the six but things might have changed a year is a long time in football of course um but yeah, I think I think what I would say is whether we'll be looking for an you know another eight or a box to box or more of a deep line playmaker sort of midfielder to come into the club. Uh, to be honest with you, I think we're we're seeing this new era of Arsenal whereby maybe we're looking for a player that can do all three of those things or two of those things or whatever. Versatility is a big, big, big box on any checklist that Mikel Arteta makes. Clearly, because you look at the players we've brought in for the last year. 
um, in, in the past 12 months, you, you you list the players off. Trossard can play left wing, which is probably his favourite position. We've played him as a number nine. We're playing him now as a, as a central midfielder, which is, I, I don't think, a position I'd ever seen him play before, but he seems to do pretty well at it. Uh, Kivior we brought in, who is primarily a centre-back, but can quite easily slot in at left-back. But also, actually, you could see him fur- playing further forward as maybe is that in that sixth slot as he matures as a player. Rice is capable of playing in about three different positions. Timber can play anywhere across that back line. And you actually start to see that he's. we're not looking for specific players anymore. We're looking for players that can perform a, multi, a multitude of roles. Um, and I think maybe that's probably where we're, where we're going to be looking You know, now. I, I think in terms of January transfer window, which is only a month away, by the way. My God, where's that come from? Um, I think it's hard to see us making too many big moves just because of our limitations with the amount of money that we've spent already. But it, as we move towards next summer... I can't imagine Party will still be a, an Arsenal player in 12 months' time. Um, so as we move towards the summer, um, it will be really, really genuinely interesting to see what kind of a player that we want to bring in to take his place in the squad and whether he will be more of a, a versatile type of player as well. Um, but as I said last week when we were talking about our new way of playing, which is control rather than attacking exuberance, I think with the mid, uh, with that, I said we needed to be patient because we're not in our final form yet. And I think the midfield's the same. I still don't think we're in its final. I, I, it's definitely not in its final form. I think Odegaard is probably a, a lock. And I think Rice is a lock. But that third little position there, that third one, it could go any way really for me. And I think I think experimenting with, with Crossard there. It depends on who's playing that role. Depends on yeah. the role that Odegaard's playing. There's so many di- like talking about like, flexibility. There's so many different possibilities. There's so many different ways we could set up. Which it's, you think is great, which, 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 yeah, which is very very good. In itself is a quality because you, you then you then take to the take to the field and, and 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 until you actually start playing, sides don't really know how you're going to play and how you're going to set up and who's going to take up what positions. We're definitely with that versatility that I mentioned. I think we're taking on. The, the pattern of a more fluid team. Um, and you can see, and, and you actually see, I've noticed it way, way more across the front three this season in the, the 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 frequency at which you'll see Martinelli pop up in the nine and Jesus will drift over left and vice versa with Saka as well. Drift, uh, Jesus will drift off into the right. And even a few times, the classic old, oh, it's not really working for us at the moment. Let's swap wingers. That's even happening now. We are so much more fluid in almost every area of the pitch. It's kind of scary to see how much, you know, how much uh, how much more fluid we are. So I can only see a continuation of that really going forward, um, which is good because, as I say, unpredictability is 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 a, is a quality, isn't it? At the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, speaking of unpredictability, I was very shocked to see that Havertz didn't start today. Off the back of yeah. he's, he's in he's in his best form in an Arsenal shirt at the minute. Obviously chipping in with with goals uh, at Lens, where he had one of his best games in an Arsenal shirt, and obviously Brentford last week. I was I was mm. quite shocked to see him not start because Havertz. Yes, he's one of those where we've we've talked about uh, on the first podcast about him being a more direct option. You know, kind of presuming because um, that's what we can do. Presuming the type of player that he is, and he, he strikes me as a confidence player. So mm, when it when, when when he's on form, I feel like he should be playing. I'm not sure how I'm not sure how he might respond to not starting today. Yeah, I mean it's it is hard to tell. You're right. He was excellent against Lons, um, and you know got the first goal and really opened the floodgates for us. But not just a goal. I think he was he was excellent in 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 that game, and you know he showed 
he showed glimpses of the player that I think Chelsea thought they were getting when they signed him. Um, really, really confident of the ball, skillful, easily taking the ball past players. He does that thing where he kind of just glides away. He's not fast at all, and he's not going to do three step overs and then speed past you in the way that Martinelli or Saka might do. But he just has this ability to to move the ball and move his body in a way that he's gone. Like and and it's not fast or 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 explosive. He just has this. It's it's just he it just kind of gently floats away from 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 other players and he was he was excellent on Wednesday and I agree I did think he should have started today because I think confidence is a huge part of his game and I would have been really interested to see how he played today getting the nod after having such a good game on Wednesday um and the fans had just started to get behind him as well and I thought a home game you know the fans were right on him on Wednesday you know that was that was the number one song in the in the ground um, was his, and it would have been nice to see that continue. But I guess, like we said before, we play in different ways depending on the side we're playing, and maybe Trossard got the nod for a reason that we're not really aware of. Um, and Trossard played fine, yeah. But I just I do think it was a shame that, that Havertz didn't really get the opportunity to influence the game in the way that I feel like he should, especially because he came on kind of just before they scored you know he maybe only had 10 minutes on the pitch before Wolves scored and the game changed at that point you know it would have been nice to see him on the pitch when we were still playing you know we were still comfortable and fluid and um but there we go that's that's football I guess we have got games coming thick and fast so there is going to be some rotation there with the squad that we now have you know we've got Luton coming up on Tuesday then we're away at Aston Villa which will be a net very interesting game then mm. Uh, third game in seven days from the Luton game is away at PSV for the final group stage match in the Champions League, and then yeah. the weekend after that we've got Brighton. So it, it is a it yeah. is a it is a congested fixture list. Thing is, thinking out loud now, going away to Luton doesn't strike me as a Kai Havertz game. No, well that's just what I was about to say. I think I think I think the I, I mean I mentioned I mentioned um, the game on Wednesday for a reason and the fact that after the goal and even actually when we were winning four five six nil the song that kept coming back round was Kai Havertz's song and maybe it's a really simplistic way of looking at it I don't know I'm not a football manager for a reason probably but it seems to me like the game to put him in in is 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 the home game um because the crowd was even today they were singing the song before he even came on the pitch they were singing that song and it's it is probably massively simplistic to say that that is that is why he should have played <laughs> but looting away on a looting away on a tuesday night he's not going to you know i'm sure the song will be sung um but it's not going to be a comfortable place for him to you know start a game it's not going to be it's not going to be comfortable for any of us it's not meant to be it it will be a nightmare it will be like going away in an FA Cup game against the lower league team who are trying to do you that's what it's going to be like and no disrespect to Luton got a lot of respect for the way they've made their way up the league but that's the way it's going to be for us on Tuesday night and to me putting him in in front of 60,000 who were singing his name who are high on him at the moment and who really wanted to succeed really really wanted to succeed would in the place to give him another run out rather than in front of 12,000 people who really really want to see him fail um but again you know i'm probably reading far too much into it it, it might it might be that actually tuesday night against the physical side like luton might be the way that it might be the game in which he excels Tom, but we'll have to wait and see 
We, we are here to pick the bones. That's what we do. We it's are, true. <laughs> I do that very well. So, uh... <laughs> so that brings us to the end of fucking great episode number two after our 2-1 win away at Wolves. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, pleasure, Jack. Thank you. Uh, you can keep up to date on all of our content. Just subscribe on your usual podcast provider. Um, all the details of our social medias are in the description down below, so I won't bore you with all of them. So if you want to interact with us, if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on your usual podcast provider, and we will speak to you next time. See you then. See you then.